A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is the Best Hang Podcast featuring Max Kerman, Shane Cunningham, and I am Mike Beerman. Here's a secret you can pass it around. Here's a secret you can pass it around. My head in the clouds and two feet on the ground. Here's a secret you can pass it around. All right. This is the Best Hang Podcast. Podcast. We got Max. We got Shane. I am Mike. Lots is going on. This is a very exciting episode because our feature guest is the one, the only Canadian comedy legend, Tom Green. He stars on a new show called LOL. Last one laughing. We have all seen it. Um, we will get into that. We will get into Tom in a bit. Uh, but before we do that, um, we got the guys here. Max is calling in from LA. Uh, we're doing this podcast. Obviously, there is a lot going on in the world. Um, um, you know, it's, it's hard to sort of encapsulate in a pod or do things in sound bites, but you know, world events are, are, are obviously very much sort of on our mind and very present. Um, and I think we're going to sort of start maybe there with our topics and, and what is going on with, uh, Russia, Ukraine, and sort of, uh, you know, the trouble in the world. Maxi, where were you thinking of, of starting? Yeah. Um, well, related to the Ukraine stuff, you know, obviously it's really troubling and, you know, whenever you hear sort of first-hand accounts of people on the ground and their stories, it's really like, it's a very emotional, like human experience to hear about somebody else's suffering. And I think, I think feeling connected to anybody anywhere on this planet is, is important and good, uh, especially when people are going through something really hard. I kind of, I hate so much of the social media stuff around it, or it just makes me kind of uncomfortable. Like, I, f- I, I wish we could nominate like five people to talk about it and then everybody else doesn't need to talk about it and even because you know there is a culture and our cows are going to share some ukrainian related stuff and i think that's important but like just the discourse around it i find it so hard to like any of it you know even people who are posting memes about like it's okay to to feel heartbroken while it's and it's okay to make plans for the weekend and it's okay to go out for drinks with friends and it's okay 
to donate money and it's all okay. And like that, that, you know, that kind of meme that I'm talking about. Yeah. We've seen it on social media. It's been all over. Yeah. And I don't like that either. Like, I just don't like a lot of it. And it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's just a weird time, uh, right now. And then of course there's the pieces that say it's like, well, why are, why are we only troubled when this is happening in a, in a European country, in a white country? And then there's truth to that too. But then that conversation inevitably gets like uncomfortable in some good ways and in some bad ways. And, uh, I, yeah, I just find like the, the last week has just been very weird to talk about, but you know, it's like, there has been in a more sort of like entertaining, humorous uh, way. There's been, you know, talks of who would play Zelensky in a movie. Uh, have you guys seen this conversation going on? Yeah, but like, see, to me, that is like, that's what you're talking about. Like, we're basically making this whole thing into a social media cycle, yeah. which is just and it's it's like, but to me, that's kind of it, we've all become too aware or uh, like everything is so like sort of like. There's a self-awareness to everything that there's people that are sort of operating on one level where they're like, I don't know if they're doing it for like clicks or or, or, or to troll. But, you know, when they put in, I, I saw that headline, like who would play Zelensky in the movie? And I saw somebody respond to that tweet. Like it was like fans of Zelensky, who's the president of yeah. Ukraine, are trying to figure out who would play him in the movie. And then somebody responded to that tweet like fans of what? Like war? Like, like, like War. fans, like I get that we're fans of him, but we're making, you know, him into this figure, this guy that's going through this real life sort of thing in this situation. And he's trying to lead his country and over here, it seems like in, on the social media sphere, all over the place, parts of Europe, you North America, it just becomes like another thing to consume, like sports or a movie or a thing we talk about, like Shailene Woodley and Aaron Rodgers breaking up. And I think that's the disconnect, the human part. Like, that's the part for me that I'm having trouble sort of reconciling. And like you said, war, somewhere in the world, there's a state of war or oppression going on all like all the time, all the time. And that doesn't diminish, you know, the, the plights that are happening sort of constantly or have in the recent past. It, it certainly doesn't diminish what's going on in Ukraine, because I can't even imagine what it would be like if, you know, our city or our country um, or a province was being invaded by a foreign force. And, you know, because it's like we're hearing from the sort of the, the leaders of these these countries uh, you know, Russia's position and Ukraine's position. But then there's just people that are like, you know, with regular jobs and families that are trying to sort of get along. And so I have trouble framing sort of the big machine of it all. Like you say, the memes and the Twitter and all this shit that we sort of like use to consume it. It's our way of processing it. And then sort of the reality of what's going on. And then also what we can even do about it here and all that stuff. But I find it all like very overwhelming as someone that tries to contextualize things and sort of make it make sense to myself. I'm having trouble even sort of relating to what's been, I guess, the social media experience while we sort of have this situation, this geopolitical situation, this invasion of this country. I find it, I don't know, like I like I, I, I don't find it um, enjoyable in any like way, shape or form. And I don't know if that's like a downer, but like even that what you just said, like who's going to play Zelensky? Like, I don't even I don't find that funny. It makes me depressed. It makes me mm-hmm. sad. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said, but it does kind of lead me to a topic which I'm kind of which we've talked about before. Zelensky is such an amazing politician. He's a great orator um, because he speaks to the people in a very plain way. It, he doesn't feel like a politician who's like an uptight suit wearing kind of person who who speaks in like weird political formal language. 
And I know we talked about in the past, was like, who would be the the best like front runner for the Democratic Party in America in 2024? Let's assume Joe Joe Biden isn't going to run again. I was like, how oh, the Rock would be pretty good. And this is a funny thing where I'm like, on one hand, I hate the idea of celebrities being politicians because politician political work should be sort of mundane and boring and shouldn't be entertaining. But then sometimes I think I'm like, no, oh, you know what? Somebody who can relate to people, even if it's like through the mechanism of like acting and performing, but can relate to people in a way that brings people together, I think is really, could be really powerful and awesome. Uh, and I know Trump is sort of like the worst side of that, in my opinion, because he, he he's sort of like an actor, entertainer, celebrity type of persona. But Zelensky, the way he's able to speak in plain language and the way he's able to uh, relate to even Russians. He, you know, he spoke directly to the Russian people. He said, why would I want to bomb Russia? Like, you know, I'm being accused of all these things. And like, I know people from that village. I, I have friends in that town. Do you think I'm going to go bomb? No, whatever you're, you're being told by Putin is wrong. And I just feel like that is, um, I don't know, a really powerful way to lead. And I guess my question maybe uh, to both of you is, do you like the idea of an actor entertainer being a politician or do you think it's all bad because none of this should be for entertainment? It should just literally just be about how do we pave our roads, have good public schools, get our infrastructure up uh, in whatever country you live in? I think being a good communicator is important. And I think if you're an actor or a presenter or a host, you have those communication skills. But the real thing that matters is, are you a compassionate person? Also, do you have the know-how to run the country? You know, you can be as charismatic as you want, but if you don't know how to do the job, you're not going to be right for it. And I think this man is an actor to answer the question about who would play him. He could play himself in the movie, right? Big deal. Yeah, coming out of... Uh That'd be, a, that'd be a big entertainment deal. It's also fucking so weird, though, to talk about, too, because like by the time this podcast come up, he could be injured. He could be killed. Like, it's such a serious yeah. time right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, but it's, this is such a, an evolving story that, like you said, if, if things... Who knows how things will evolve in Ukraine in the coming days and weeks and months? But like you said, like this podcast could be... We might... All this conversation might be gone. We might have to cut all of this for, you know, a million tragic reasons or, or whatever. But yeah, it's it's just like... I, maybe this is like a bigger thought, but like, because obviously we're this, you know, Zelensky, he's been lifted up by us. Like my social media is, you know, propping him up. And by all accounts, from everything I've seen, it, it seems absolutely warranted. You know, he seems like sort of a leader for this moment for those people. And he's inspiring people outside of his own country. And that is a rare thing. He's become like a star, whatever that means for all intents and purposes. But like even that, like the star machine, like I'm like, we're doing this. Like, I don't know. It's just like I'm watching it the way you would watch Timothy Chalamet's rise three years ago. And it's just mm -hmm. like it's all the same machine and it's all the same headlines and BuzzFeed and all that bullshit, except it's through the guise of like people losing their lives and like this real world situation. And I think what's hard for my brain to sort of like. Um, is the fact that those two things are married or exist simultaneously, that we, we have these feelings and the machine exists for something as like heavy as war and politicians and lives being lost that we use for the exact same thing as like Robert Pattinson or whoever the new like Oscar contenders. It's all the same machine. And y yeah, I don't know. It's, it, I, I don't know. How do you frame that, Shane? Like, does, like that, it kind of like, I don't know how to feel about it. I don't feel good about it. I wish it was much harder for me to frame and compartmentalize, but I think COVID uniquely prepared me for pretty much anything being on the table, anything being possible. 
the, a few days ago in our group, we were talking about the prospect of the end of the world. Uh, we could be nuked, and we're essentially joking about it. And that's obviously a coping mechanism. But I yeah. also felt resigned to the fact that, oh, yeah, yeah, world could end, or I could be conscripted or something like that. I don't know. Everything was on the table, and I was still willing to joke one minute later. I was still watching a video of a Ukrainian boy crying because he, his dad, he lost his dad and I'm crying along to that. I'm doing all these things at once and switching my emotions within seconds of each other. And it, to me, that's just the new norm. That's the way my brain operates. And I wish it wasn't like that, but that's the way my thought process works right now. Yeah. Yeah. Max, did you have any more thoughts? No, we, I'm going to keep it moving here. Um, guys, something that, uh, I needed your advice on, um, I was on the plane coming to LA and um, I had my laptop out on the, uh, the tray table. And then the person in front of me in a very quick and sudden powerful move, put the receipt back and knocked my computer. Like, you know, like kind of crumpled the computer a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, I of course wanted to kill them. And I, then I do the cursory shake the front, shake their chair. Like, you did that four or five oh. times. Wow. Oh yeah. Just and of course they pretended not to feel it. And then and then I was so pissed off I did it again a few minutes later, just as if I was rattling around back there, but it was literally me just putting my hand on the top of their chair and just shaking it. Um and it makes me think, <laughs> what what is protocol? What should we do um about about that? Like and by the way, if I think I'm not someone who reclines on a plane. I just don't need to do it. I don't think anybody needs to do it. But if you do need to do it for whatever medical reason you have, should there be some kind of like hand system? Like, you know how like if you're cycling and you're making a right-hand turn, you put your hand out to notify the, the cars that you're making a turn. Should there be yeah. some sort of like international signal that is like in the next 60 seconds, I will be slowly reclining my chair as opposed to the fuck it, here we go. <laughs> or may, maybe audibly beeping, like how a car does sometimes. And you just go, beep, beep, beep. And then you let the person behind you go, that's good. And then they tell you what's comfortable for them. Mm. Or they just go, back it up, back it up, all the way, that's fine. <laughs> you become a part of it? You help yeah, them? You're, yeah, they include you based on how many beeps, and you direct them. You're like, stop. <laughs> it can be a negotiation like everything else. One would say, if you can recline the chair, if you're if, if if the chair reclines, then the person in it can do whatever they want, and they're not inconveniencing you, Max. That's your beef isn't with the person reclining. Your beef is with the airline or the construct of the chair. So yeah. either the chairs have to not recline, period, or you have to be okay. Like, because part of me was like, well, you could just no. Ask. My 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 takes a little more nuanced though, because it, it was the thrust of it. Like like it, I don't mind. Quick. Yeah, it was like, boom, it was out of nowhere. And like, they didn't bother to think my, the lid of my laptop was literally right underneath where the seat is coming down. It could have, it could have crushed my laptop. Yeah, then your, your beef is with the people who designed the chairs. That person might, that might've been the first time reclining and it just went quick. Maybe it caught them off guard. You know, it could have mm. been the first flight. Maybe it was a nine year old and they're like, oh shoot. I, 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 that's the thing. It's like, we always think it's an etiquette thing or someone being like angry or mean, but I don't know, man. I think maybe it's the chair's issue. Hmm. I don't know. Your but, first time reclining. It might be your first flight, but it's not your first time dealing with the <laughs> reclining chair. You're not just like, what does this button do? Whoa! And you're Whoa. like thrown back. <laughs> you know what's going on. What you need to do when you recline 
It's like hair growth. You have to do it so slow that you, the person doesn't even realize you're doing it. You just go like a millimeter every couple <laughs> seconds and you just keep going back and back. And before you know it, the person's like, oh, that chair is fully reclined. Yeah. Best way to do have it. Have a beard. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, but I think there needs to be um, some classes uh, in school where we talk about interacting with people in general. Because I was in the movies with book club Maddie uh, and Amanda Ash the other day. And this it was there's probably five or six people in the movie. Uh, theater and somebody was talking these two people were talking really loudly and then matt was like i'm going over to tell them that they have to stop stop talking and uh i find that interaction to be so awkward and he told them can you please quiet down there's no polite way of telling someone to quiet down but i wish there was like a, a classes taught in school about etiquette when you have to have a direct interaction with somebody regarding like their personal space. And I think talking in a movie theater is involved in, in your personal space. Cause they're like, they're interfering with your personal space and your enjoyment of something. Um, yeah. Like what, wh- what is the line? Cause I'm sure everybody thinks about what am I, how am I going to phrase it when I tell somebody that they have to stop talking in a movie theater? Cause no matter how you kind of sounding like an uptight asshole, how would, how do you guys say that? And should this be taught in school? I don't say it right, but I would think like, let's say it was four teenage boys talking behind me. I would just turn around and go, guys, I think th- that's enough. <laughs> they know what that means. Guys. Yeah. What if it's, what if it's people that whose who's, uh, language is in English, so their first language is in English? I think contextually they would know what you meant with guys. They would be like, wait, wait, is this a subtitled film that they're at? Or I guess no, no, if it's no, it like American Pie, it's like the visuals are so good, it doesn't matter if they understand the language. <laughs> Which part of the visuals? Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> also a Convoy supporter, oddly, and I will not unfollow her. <laughs> is she? Is the actress that no, plays no. it? I don't oh, know. Oh. That's funny. Um, Mike, how would you tell someone to, sh- to stop talking? Oh, man. I, 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 I think Shane's very, like, dad, like, guys, come on, knock it off, uh, is probably the way. I'm trying to think if I've done it. Like, I, I've luckily haven't. I think, I think my approach would just be like, yeah, hey, could you guys could you keep it down? We all paid for this movie. Come on. You're not the only ones in here. I'd probably say something like that. Or I could be intimidated if this, like, listen, if you're in a movie and you don't know you shouldn't talk in a movie, and is me telling you to be quiet going to be the thing that stops you? Like, I'm, I'm more like think two steps ahead where I'm like, what's their response to this? And then if they don't go quiet, do I got to go get an usher? And now an usher's dealing with my business, but we're 30 minutes into the movie. It gets very like uncomfortable. I have changed seats. So maybe that's just something about me that instead of like mm. fighting the good fight, I'll go to another part of the theater. If they're like, if it's a couple on a date and they're, he's like, oh, and then this happened or she's like this, yeah, that guy. and they're behind me. I'll just, I'll move. Uh, you know, people are pretty good about it. Uh, and often you don't even need to actually say anything. It's just the half turn. Like you pretend you threaten, like you might do it. And you kind of just turn your mm. head to the side <laughs> and side eye. They know. And then if you turn your head all the way around and just glance, they know. So most cases you don't need to do it. However, when I was suggesting guys, I don't actually do the guys thing. What I do is I turn around and I say, can you stop the running commentary, please? And then (laughs) (laughs) and it scares them because they think I'm like this snide person that will go to the usher, even though I'm really not that type of person. So it is a bit of acting. 
I'm thinking, what would a real like Karen do or whatever the male equivalent to Karen is? Right. Okay. But so here's my question. You say that you say, can you stop the running commentary? Like, let's say they just didn't. Do you go to the usher or do you like get in a confrontation with these people? I don't know. They've, they've always complied. Right. Mm. So you never had That's to go curious. to that step. It would be a mood thing. How much sleep did I get the night before? How, right. how happy my day been? <laughs> that, all those things come into play. If I'm like, if all bets are off and everybody's been fucking with me all day, oh yeah, I'll get the usher in there. I might stand up and stop the movie. <laughs> like, all bets are off. There comes a certain point where you've just crossed the line where nothing matters anymore except winning this social interaction. That's true. That's true. Um, Book Club Maddie has a great story about going to see. I I, I want to I want to say it's like Rush Hour in like in the late '90s at Yorkdale Mall. Your favorite film. Yeah, my favorite film ever. And it was a very ra- loud and rowdy theater. And it was a very like diverse theater. Like there was sort of like a person from every background there. And it was like packed in. People were, a lot of people were talking. And this one white guy like turns around to scold somebody, like a bunch of people for talking. And he's like, excuse me, can you, can you please stop talking? Can you please stop the running commentary? And then somebody from the other side of the theater goes, shut up, cracker. And then the whole theater erupted. Oh, my goodness. It's tough to come back from that. It was Matt's, like, favorite moment in the movie. <laughs> so in that instance, I, I appreciate uh, commentary going in. You, you can't take <laughs> down a mob, though. That person has to realize once you're outnumbered, you just take it. <laughs> yeah, you gotta just leave. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe you just come to another another viewing. You like a Friday that. night, <laughs> like yeah, that's it's hard to come back from that. But a Friday night teen film, even if it's if it's opening night and you're going to super bad, you have to expect it's going to be loaded with teenagers, and you're yeah. you're the minority in that case, and you just have to go with whatever they want to do. Just usually yell a hundred percent and have running commentary. Um, okay, so that's good. And then yeah, I do think they're should be some series of like hand motions or a notification on like the TV <laughs> screen behind, like on the plane, there could be a, a notification that says like the person in front of you will be reclining their seat in 60 seconds. Beep, 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 beep. I think that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. You stole my beep idea and played it off like it was yours, but that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Singer of Arkell invents beeping chair for reclining <laughs> on airplanes. By the way, I watched, um, Nathan for you on the plane just and I hadn't watched it in a couple of years. The show is just amazing. It's I the, the 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 story if you haven't seen it anybody who's a comedy fan needs to watch Nathan for you and the story of him um telling a story on Kimmel and how he goes about <laughs> telling this funny late night tale is just amazing. It is a work of art that show. It is just amazing. How are you, Max, about laughing out loud on a plane? Are, do you have any inhibitions or do you just let it rip when you got the headphones in and you're surrounded by people on a plane? Oh, I'm laughing out loud. I'm crying. I'm like, probably burping. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like there's so much white noise on the plane. <laughs> it's like, a weird it's, reaction to good comedy. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, no, no. I feel like people really can't hear. Maybe I just have my in-ear headphones in that kind of block out all the sound. So I, I don't. Maybe I'm way worse than I realized. But uh, yeah, I'm an aisle seat guy. I, I like to go to the bathroom like four or five times on a flight. Like I'm, I'm always up and about. I, I need to be in the aisle. What, what, what's your favorite seat, guys? I'm easy. Aisle's the best, obviously. 
Some people like the window. Some people don't like want to be bothered. When you're a kid, you want the window because you want to see the takeoff and you think you're going to look down. But then after you've flown a bunch, you're like, you're trapped with the window. The aisle is like, it gives you the most freedom, I believe, especially if you're traveling alone. No, mm-hmm. I, I like window. I, I'm a, wow. I like to, I can't sleep unless I'm leaning on something. Mm, I need counter. to lean on something hard. And if I, if I tried leaning the other way, that fucking cart's hitting me every two seconds. And then if you got a couple of maxes sitting to your left, they're they're bothering you five, six times a flight. You get two maxes, you're getting up 10 times during that flight just to let them go take the piss. And it's not just on the way out. They have to come back. And if you like sleeping or trying to sleep on a flight, you do not want that seat. If you're against the window, you don't have to worry about people getting up and down the whole time. You can just sleep. Middle's obviously the worst. I'm famously a bit of a nervous flyer. Um, Me too. If it gets turbulent. Um, Do you prefer the pilot to like not say anything and because so clearly he doesn't give a shit that there's turbulence it's just another day at the office or do you prefer that he gives you a warning he's like it's gonna be it's gonna be a little bumpy uh and uh we're gonna have a seatbelt sign on for the next hour and uh, fl- uh flight attendants uh please take a seat like do you prefer yes because oh, yeah. there's a yeah, like, you gotta if he doesn't know it's gonna be bumpy and it starts Ooh. getting bumpy that's scary i almost go the other way i almost because if he's like telling guys Put your seatbelt on. Flight attendants, you can't even be doing the service right now. You need to sit down. We are fucked right now. That is what. That is how I'm reading it. If he doesn't say anything and is hardly even putting on the seatbelt thing, then I'm just like, oh, dude doesn't give a fuck. This is just another day at the office. He kind of, everyone's enjoying the turbulence. And I feel better about it almost if he's not making a big thing about it. Does that make any sense or no? I guess it makes sense, but... I need to know that he knows. And maybe it's turbulent in the back and he's new and he doesn't even know how to put on the signs to be to, to warn people. <laughs> like he's that new. He's like, what do I do? And he's that's the way I imagine it. <laughs> so, I like that he's, he's a so nerdy new. pilot. Oh, what do I do? We're going to crash. Well, he's just nervous, which make you can't be cool and nervous. <laughs> okay what do you what are your coping mechanisms shane in times of uh turbulence like what because what, i have a routine i i do a lot of stuff when it starts to get bumpy what, what, what do you do nervous sweating fake joke like joking like i'm calm but i'm not keeping a converse meandering conversation going with somebody and pretending it's not happening definitely a stress sweat that stinks really bad <laughs> <laughs> mike do you care about any of this uh, I, I'm not nervous like you guys, but I've been on a few flights that got shaky and I was like, oh shit, like this could, this something could go down here. I just get quiet and I start thinking, I think a lot. I think I reflect on my life and I find <laughs> as I get deep into the, I do, I'm like, did I do everything I wanted to do? If this happens, did I say what I needed to say? So once I start having those thoughts before I know it, 10 minutes has passed and we've smoothed out and I'm like, okay, I just, you know, I, I, I had a big sort of audit of my life's choices and now I can have like some Mr. Noodles or whatever the fuck is on the cart. Let's do this. You've already texted Danica. Like this is the yeah. last time we'll ever speak. <laughs> I love I'm you. freaking out in smooth flights too, though. It doesn't necessarily need to go bad for me to be worried. My hands are always sweaty and then I'm constantly going, we're going to explode now. And it's just like a random explosion. Like the plane just all of a sudden explodes for no reason. And I, it's like a game I'm playing where that happens like a thousand times during the flight. <laughs>
<laughs> what about you, Maxie? What's your what's your methodology for this? Oh, I do a few different things. Um, I always put on feel good music because I need to be listening to something. Like I cannot be with my own mm. thoughts, so I always have a good feel good playlist. But if if the music becomes a little too intense, I'm always like, this is adding to the problem. So if I'm playing like Uptown <laughs> Funk Slip or something like that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, not helping now. <laughs> um, so I like I think about that. Um, I also try to keep myself busy with five different things at once. So I'll have my computer open. I'll be like watching a show, toggling between the show and music. I'll be sending emails. I'll just be doing that. I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll also be thinking about uh, people that I think are beautiful. <laughs> that seems to calm me down. Right. Men, women, or both? Doesn't matter. Both. Both. Doesn't just, matter. Just anyone who's beautiful. I just think about that. That is a calming thing for me. Uh, and yeah, and I think also the other thing I do, uh, this is so stupid, but I think about, <laughs> I think about Nick Nurse and Kyle Dubas having to fly a lot and them being so unbothered by a busy, cause and I, just, I think about people that have to fly a lot. And yeah. then, cause once I was on a flight with Kyle Dubas on the Leafs mentors trip and it kind of, and it was a short flight to New York and it kind of got a little bumpy and nobody gave a shit. And on those chartered private planes like they don't make any announcements they don't even tell you that you're taking off or landing it's just like just another day at the office and so i think about nick nurse and, and kyle dubas so it's like good good music beautiful people nick nurse kyle dubas and a lot of work emails do you ever play the explosion game or is that something unique to me i, I to me i thought everyone does that you don't do that i never play no, no i don't oh, do the explosion no. game Hmm. <laughs> but now but now our listeners have another coping mechanism thanks to Shane. <laughs> yeah, it's thinking about what's the worst thing that could happen. Okay, I guess that's the worst. Okay. Uh, Shane, you love more than just about anybody going, I knew it. I knew it. Like like I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I was I knew I was going to be right. I knew <laughs> it. I, have I been saying that a lot? You always say that. You're like, "Oh, I knew you're going to do that." Ooh, I knew it, Max. I knew it. I knew it. Like you love being able to predict stuff. So I'm happy you're wrong when it comes to your exposing game. For yourself and for all of us. Okay. I feel like that was crowbarred in a little cruelly, Mac. (laughs) I've been waiting to nitpick something about Shane that's really fucking annoying. Here's my chance. Might not be perfect, but I took it. Yeah. I knew you were going to do that. Uh, Let's set up uh, Tom Green. Yeah, fellas. I think it's that time that uh, we get to our feature guest. Uh, Like I said off the top, we got Tom Green, uh, who has been, uh, you know, industry staple, a comedy icon uh, for many. Uh, you know, he started sort of the the irreverent man on the street, uh, sort of it's kind of like reality talk show out of his basement. Everyone knows the stories. And, you know, a Canadian that started in Ottawa, he was nominated for a Juno with his, his band, um, Organized Rhyme, Check the OR. He goes on to have a cable access show, uh, and then that turns into an MTV show that goes through the roof. It's like a rocket ship to the moon. He becomes super famous. Uh, he ends up um, in films. He got to make a film called Freddy Got Fingered, a pretty infamous film, I might add. We do talk a bit about that in our conversation with him. But yeah, uh, Tom is sort of just, ever since I've been kind of like a kid or like an early teenager, I feel like he's sort of been on the scene and either this polarizing figure for sort of old school comedians or people traditionalists but sort of exciting for the new school there's kind of there's kind of a time where it was like new stuff was happening all the time where there was like tom green or like the jackass guys with bam and kind of this sort of new style of comedy and 
Tom felt like the start of that in the early 90s to me. Um, Shaney, how did you sort of frame Tom Green growing up and now? Well, I think growing up, I just thought this is the weirdest man in the world. Like, I I couldn't tell if he was Andy Kaufman putting on an act that he in, or if this was something he was willing to, when the cameras weren't off, just be a normal person. But I was fascinated by his, like, it was essentially like one of the first reality shows I watched. He's Here's somebody going to do a social experiment, essentially, that's yeah. that's outrageous and see how people react to it. And then... Some of the stuff, I couldn't even believe I was watching it. Like, there's a clip of him, like, hammering open a cow's head and taking out the brains and putting it on a, a thing of plastic and waving it off to sea. I didn't even know that was legal to be on television. And it it was gross, fascinating. So many things went on about what Tom could possibly be like. And then I think 15 years ago, he came to Hamilton to do a rap show at the Underground. And I... Oh. Uh, I was working for J.R. Diggs at the time, so we secured an interview with Tom. And I, I was just like, is he, is he going to be weird? Is he going to be normal? Or is he going to be somewhere in between? And at one point after the interview, uh, in the interview he was fairly normal, but a light bulb exploded and glass got everywhere. And, you know, there's always one person who steps up to kind of help everyone and clean up, but it's usually not the talent, you, you don't think. But Tom just sprung into action. He was so concerned about anyone being hurt or even remotely cut by the glass. He cleared out the area. I think he was even like sweeping it up himself. And I was thinking, this wow. is, he's so mature and he wasn't a goofball or playing anything up for laughs like the way I thought he might be. And he's so much more, I think, than people give him credit for because I think the show was just so memorable because of what it was, was kind of the start the revolution of all the jackass style videos. And I feel like maybe even Max has a, a tough time thinking of him anything more than that. Am I right, Max, or am I wrong? No, you, you're right, because I knew it. You know, his persona, and especially from, you know, growing up and watching him on TV is just like, it's really crass. And he kind of has sort of a stunned, somewhat like antisocial, uh, performative persona and you hate that right that's not your style right no i don't hate it I, I mean i wouldn't say it's completely for for me or my style of comedy but what i loved about the conversation was that he was just sort of a an eager guy you could tell you sort of a, as you say like sort of compassionate guy really likes working like just all, all of the values and things that i like in other creative types he completely is that he, and he and he was early on on the call like he was like kind of waiting for us to show up to the zoom call he was there with his dog his folks were coming over to visit um he you know he talks about how you know he's you never know when you're going to get asked to do stuff and it's always nice to be asked and, and sometimes you think about that cuz like no you're tom green of course people are asking you to do stuff all the time but him saying that kind of humanized them even more and yeah, I really lo love the call. He was, um, yeah, really sweet, thoughtful guy and, and much, much more dynamic than just the sort of like stunned, crass person that maybe we remember from a while ago. It's always interesting when you're talking to someone who was the most famous person in the world at one point. Mm -hmm. Found that a little bit surreal once he got on there. And it was like a little bit like deer in headlights because there's so many things you want to ask him about. And it's, it's hard with three people because you don't know where to start and how to have a comfortable 
conversation, but Tom was really good at asking him one thing and he can answer like three things in the course of answering one question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, obviously the show that he he's here promoting is LOL. Last one laughing on prime. Uh, we've all seen, I've seen the first three episodes. I don't know if you two are caught up, but uh really cool show. I've seen four. Yeah. yeah like really good concept. We won't spoil anything, but essentially it's a bunch of you know Canadian comedians uh, who you've heard of. Uh, it's hosted by Jared Baruchel. You got Dave Foley from Kids in the Hall, Colin Mockery from Whose Lines Is It Anyway, obviously Tom Green, a uh, whole whole bunch of people, and um, they're basically the goal is to make each other laugh. And if you laugh twice, you're out of the house, sort of like a Big Brother thing. But it all takes place within a six hour window of shooting window, and they can break that up into like six episodes or however many episodes it is. But I didn't know what to think of it, and. It was one of those things where I threw it on because we were going to talk to Tom. So it was like, oh, I, I got to do some research. I want to see what this show's about. And Danica was doing like laundry. She had the baby and she was kind of like going around and she happened to walk by with it. And then she's like, oh, like maybe I'll sit for a second. And then she ended up sitting through the next three episodes with me. And it's just one of those shows that gets you. And it's a really cool um, premise and it makes it super, super entertaining. Maxie, what do you think of the show? Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Um it was nice to, uh, you know, see, you know, Colin Mockery, you know, spending a lot of time with him on Whose Line Is It Anyways, uh, you know, Jay Baruchel, you know, it's like it's a really good eclectic mix of comedians. It's awesome. Guys, you want to get to Tom Green? Let's do it. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The place I wanted to start, which I find interesting about your careers, sort of when you sort of came out of a, a rocket ship and sort of onto the scene, there's this interesting thing where your style of comedy, uh, you know, it becomes very popular. And sometimes the popular thing can sort of, you know, older comedians can look down on it. So you sort of start in this place where you're sort of doing this, this, this interesting style. And then now watching the show, you've become like the revered sort of comedian to me. Really? I think so. I think the younger comedians all say sort of in their talking head moments. Really? Tom. Tom's the oh, guy yeah. that I'm most excited oh, that's about. Pretty cool. So, Hear that, Charlie? <laughs> <laughs> you have question, to look that up. 
my question for you is, did you feel the shift at any point? Did you feel like, oh, I'm the new guy and this is kind of weird. And then now I'm sort of, you know, established. I'm, I'm, I'm the old school now. I think I just felt the shift, man, just now. When the, old <laughs> the word revered came out of your mouth, I felt a shift for sure. <laughs> also, I found it interesting on the show, they called me the uh, the grandfather of the avant-garde or something like mm-hmm. that. It was like, it's the first time I've been referred to as a grandfather of anything. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. You know, I mean, uh, you know, you, you go through a lot of ups and downs in this business. I started out as a rapper, you know, back in 1992. We got nominated for a, a Juno, my rap group, and then, uh, you know, then we sort of that went away, and it was another 10 years before the Tom Green Show really took off, or eight years or something like that. So, so you know, you kind of get used to kind of these little kind of ups and downs in the, in this business. If, you know, if you never quit, you know, then you're going to have ups and downs. So it's cool. I, I appreciate that, though. You made me feel good just now when you said that. Yeah. It's true, man. Yeah, for real. Yeah, it's nice to hear you guys say that. You guys are doing a podcast. It's cool. You got cameras on you. You're in your various homes. Yeah. I did that once. I used to, I built a TV studio in my living room back in the early 2000s, and uh, it was pretty fun, you know, broadcasting from home. So so it's cool to see that, uh, yeah, it's cool to see that young people like yourself I mean, are you guys young? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> not really, <laughs> but sort of at an awkward middle. Yeah, zone. it's hard not to say. Not quite young. Yeah, we're not yeah. Quite old. yeah. I feel young too, so I'm starting to feel kind of like you know, I don't know, like am I not young anymore? Is that what you what you're telling me? Or, uh... <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're young, but I also don't think you're old. Yeah, I mean, I'm not young compared to you, right? I'm young compared to like Johnny Carson. Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely compared to him. Yes. Yeah, I'm young compared to him. Tom, we had a big discussion about what's the perfect question to open with to set the scene, and now it's already off the rails. Uh, great job, Mike. Yeah, that was a good question. I, I, it was supposed to be a reflective question about his career and his journey. Yeah, I, I don't feel like it's. I don't feel like it's off the rails. No, I'm just kind of messing around. I don't yeah. feel like we're off the rails here. I feel like we're we're on the rails still. You want it to go off the rails with Tom anyway. Right. I don't even feel like it is off the rails, though. I don't even no, feel, me like either. I don't feel like Max has so many rails. rules and everything. It's got to be just perfect. You have to be the perfect <laughs> Zoom person. I'm more concerned about my lighting, to be honest with you. Is it a little too bright? Or... That's nice. Great. Oh, it's great. Are you in a van right bright? now? Okay, sorry. I'm just, I'm just shooting this with an iPhone here, so it's it's not, you know. You're not in you your souped-up van, right? I, I know what you're saying. I mean, I understand what you're saying. I understand the question. I could answer the question, I guess. Like, I mean, um, I've forgotten the question. You know, I mean, there's something actually kind of fun about being older and having been in the business for a long time. Uh, You know, now I guess I could say that. I mean, I started, like I said, when I started my rap group when I was a kid, I was in high school, you know, and I was doing yuck yucks. I was doing stand up at yuck yucks when I was like 16 years old. And, uh, you know, I was a kid then, you know. And, uh, you know, then it was like probably, you know, 10, 15 years or so before I ever like actually made any money in the, sh- in the show business. You know, that was when the show got picked up by MTV. And that was exciting. But, uh, you know, then at that point, you know, when things are kind of really, you know, new and exciting, it's, it's a lot of there's a lot of pressure on you at that point. You know, like I felt I put, I put a lot of pressure on myself. So now to kind of be sort of away from that kind of intense pressure and be a bit older and you know, uh, in these sort of like, you know, golden sort of years, the, the final chapter of my life, you know, <laughs> you know, as I'm sort of winding down in my life, you know, towards sort of a slow and, you know, uneventful death, 
Yeah. I, uh, I don't feel the kind of pressure anymore, you know, because, yeah, I used to put a lot of pressure on myself when I was young because I was thinking like, oh, my God, like if this doesn't work out, my my life is going to, you know, what's what am I going to do with my life, you know? But now that I'm like, you know, 50, I kind of think mm -hmm. like, well, you know, there's not really that much of my life left to ruin, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of... <laughs> I'm good at this point, you know, it's, this, this is this is nice. It's a nice sort of relaxing feeling to, to be here at this stage. Exactly. I also don't want to spend like, you know, my early being an old guy years talking about how I'm an old guy. Like, I'd rather reserve that to like when I'm like 65 or something, you know, like, you know, like Colin Mockery, Dave Foley, they're old guys, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're young, you're friends old of mine, but those guys are old, you know. Who makes you laugh the most, Tom? Um, Colin Mockery and Dave Foley. You know, those I love two. those guys. And you just happen to be on the show with them. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, no, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I grew up, I loved the kids in the hall growing up. Mm -hmm. So that was, mm -hmm. I mean, you guys, like, you are 10, 12 years younger than me. So you probably weren't really watching the kids in the hall. when. Oh, it was, yeah. Oh, oh no, 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 huge. Yeah. It was in high school when they came out, yeah. you know? And I remember it was just sort of like, sort of like a tectonic shift in, in you know the comedy that we would get on cbc you know it was definitely like oh here's a bunch of young guys kind of acting wacky and crazy and dressing up in crazy costumes and being outrageous and uh, it sort of felt like something new so but i've always liked you know canadian comedy sctv you know used to you know was insane when i was a kid you know watching that i remember we'd all like come like in school in like the eighth grade grade eight in grade eight uh, been the states too long in the eighth grade in, in grade eight you know we'd, we'd all come in and we'd be talking about you know john candy and and martin short and you know all the guys on sctv and the, all the all the all the cast of sctv Catherine o'hara and everybody joe flaherty was actually amazing my favorite one of my favorites he's not even canadian by the way he's from pittsburgh but so i mean i loved loved all those shows it was inspiring watching a lot of canadian comedy shows growing up because you were kind of thinking like oh wow look might actually be able to like not have to really ever get a job you know if, if i could figure out how to do that you know you could actually go through your entire life without ever really having to get a job or something mm -hmm. like that you know now the, the comedy you ended up doing is obviously much different than something like sctv snl a lot of it's based on how people are reacting to you the bit itself obviously has to be sound but how the people react is where the real laugh lies definitely on the on the tv show on the tom yes. green show that yes was a lot of it was was about like uh, creating sort of a uh, some sort of a scene on the street, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, you know, but like that was kind of like that happened for a lot of reasons. I mean, one reason like is is because like nobody was gonna give me a TV show, right? So mm -hmm. you had to make your own TV show. And when you made your own TV show, you didn't have a studio. So because you weren't in the studio, you were on the street. Because you were on the street, there were other people there, and that sort of happened almost. I wouldn't say by accident. I mean, it was kind of also built off like skateboarding videos and also technology changing. That's always been kind of my, uh, my uh, thing that I've really enjoyed is like sort of seeing how technology is changing and using it to, uh, to make comedy. So because video cameras were new, right? You could go run around on the street with a video camera and, and, and goof on people, which, you know, wasn't probably really possible to do 20 years or 10 years before that, you know? But as far as really funny men on the street interviews, were you the first person to be really great at it and funny, or was there someone who inspired you? Well, no, I mean, I mean, I love David Letterman. He would go out in the street, you know. So that was kind of 
I mean, when I was, like I said, when I was a kid, like David Letterman came on, you know, at, at 1230 in the morning, you know, on NBC after the Tonight Show. And there was no Internet then. So, like, there was no Internet. Yeah. Like, that sounds crazy. Like, mm-hmm. uh, maybe I am an old guy when I, when I say that. <laughs> no, you know, I, I remember those I, days. Yeah. yeah. There was, like, no Internet. So, mm-hmm. so it was kind of like, it was kind of like, David Letterman, late night with David Letterman was kind of like the equivalent of TikTok today, you know, like it was it was like there was a guy doing weird, weird shit, you know, late at night. Can I say can I swear on here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. The guy doing weird shit late at night, you know, and that was kind of like the equivalent of the Internet, you know, where you mm-hmm. could seek out and you had to seek out and find a weird thing that nobody knew about. Because back then, like nobody stayed up till after midnight to watch television people didn't do that you know it was sort of like you'd hear about oh you know if you stay up late like like there's a guy on who does weird shit you know and he goes out in the street he's you know getting in arguments with uh, his guests and he's you know uh you know getting you know getting mad at his own network and doing all sorts of weird stuff so it was kind of uh definitely an inspiration and then there were shows like candid camera you know, which started in the 50s where they were out in the street. But the thing is, is like, I guess the difference was with with my show was there was a sort of a skateboarding video element added to it, mm-hmm. too, where, you know, you could kind of tell with our show that like like with Letterman or with Candid Camera, they were real TV shows, you know, like they had a budget. They were doing it at a, on a real network. I think maybe my show might have been one of the first shows, at least, that was like just some kid running around like with a camera getting in trouble and making it up. And it wasn't really even a TV show. It wasn't really a TV show until years later when MTV picked it up. It was just me running around doing stuff on a public access station. So that's kind of how it sort of was maybe the sort of the preliminary sort of thing that led to like things like you know YouTube and all this stuff. You know, you've had a long career and I've been thinking about uh, people that have been putting out work and art, you know, for the public to consume for 10, 20 years. And I was listening to an interview with uh, Chuck Klosterman. Are you familiar with that pop culture writer, Chuck Klosterman? Okay. Yeah, sure. And he he was saying that he doesn't like to read any of his pieces from Spin Magazine or Rolling Stone or any like because he doesn't recognize the person that's writing it. You know, he's like, oh, okay, this, I guess I was thinking and feeling that way back then. How do you think about your work from 15 years ago? Do you go, oh, that's terrible, or oh, that's actually really funny, or that person is not me anymore? Because I, I, like, I, I have a hard time looking back at stuff that I did two weeks ago. So I, I do, or, and do you look back at stuff at all? Um, you know, I, I have been looking back at some of my older footage lately because I'm actually putting a documentary together about the show. Mm. So I have been kind of uh, looking at stuff, um, you know, and I edited it all back in the day, too. So and I, you know, I, I sometimes will go through old clips and put put them on social media and stuff like that. So. Um, so, I, I, you know, I have had a few moments of uh, shock lately <laughs> when I've sort of seen some bit that I did and but I mean, I, I've, I've actually, my friend and I were watching some stuff the other day and I was sort of laughing because I couldn't believe how ridiculous it was. And I was saying, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't do that today. You know, I wouldn't do that today. <laughs> Not for any reason other than just it being just so 
much energy pumped into it, you know, mm -hmm. so much forced energy. I think when you're young, like, especially if you're like doing like sort of slapstick comedy, first of all, you have more energy. And secondly, you're kind of like fueled by sort of a desperation, you know, because, mm -hmm. you know, I had to like get out of, figure out a way to get out of my parents' basement. And mm -hmm. uh, so I was yeah. really, really, you know, throwing everything I could at, at, the, at it, you know, without sort of any regard for whether it was, you know, a good idea or not. Sometimes it was just like, let's, let's just do this. And, you know, it was kind of like, uh, the idea was to try to do something that would be so ridiculous, that it would be so embarrassing that people couldn't help but what watch it. So it's sort of a little bit hypocritical for me to look at it and be embarrassed by it when that was the whole point, you know? So I, I kind of like looking at the old stuff. I don't look at it all the time, but I, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't have anything that I look at and go, oh, man, I, I wish I hadn't done that mm -hmm. or anything mm -hmm. like that. That's cool. it's, more, it's more like I look at it and I say, I can't believe I, I did that. <laughs> you know? I look at your YouTube channel now, and I kind of have the same feeling where I look at it. And I'm like, how does he have the time and energy to get all these shots, to put all the work that is necessary to make this so amazing? It's just... It's amazing and shocking in a different way to me. Like the recent videos I've been doing? Yeah, you had a bit of like, in, for me, a bit of a renaissance during the pandemic where I went down all these Tom Green rabbit holes and I, I became obsessed with your filmmaking technique that I found very satisfying of all the, the drone shots and you out in the desert and building your van and oh, cool. DJing late at night. And yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you find the time and energy to even put all the work into that? It's insane. Well, it's like I'm kind of like a tech tech geek. Like, I mean, here I am. I'm in my, let's see, can I flip this around? Mm -hmm. uh, so much for, I, mean, I guess I'm not a tech geek. I can't turn the camera. No. <laughs> so I'm oh, in yeah. my little studio here. So here's my little uh, drum machine and my, my, my you know, my, my synthesizers oh, and wow. my cameras and stuff. I'm getting ready to take a little trip. So I got my cameras and my drone and my tripods and stuff like that. So, um you know, I plugged all this stuff in. This was actually all in the van, this this uh, gear here, which was the studio in the van. Wow. And Charlie and I went traveling all around the uh, the desert in the uh, American Southwest last year. And, um, you know, I, uh, you know, I studied I studied broadcasting at Algonquin College uh, in Ottawa when I was a kid. And I always kind of wanted to really kind of get good at like uh all of the technical aspects of things mm. and um you know basically what's ended up happening in the last uh, i don't know well it continuous continuously keeps happening mm. there's new tech that comes out all the time whether it's new cameras or new computers or that are just so amazing to me because like i remember when you had to edit on tape and you know when things were so clunky and impossible and now you can have like you know hundreds and hundreds of hours of video and a little drive and it just is so amazing to me that i kind of feel like i i want to take advantage of 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 the new technology and you know when i was a kid i didn't have i couldn't afford to buy a camera or, or anything like that now you know i've been able to i've been lucky in my life i've been able to you know buy some cameras and get some gear that i always wanted and so i'm just kind of like taking advantage of uh, the time i have to kind of figure it out you know so ha have you developed a new audience from doing these like basically it's like pieces of art you're doing now and putting them on youtube has your audience grown with you or have you just endeared yourself to a completely new audience yeah it's funny because like the, definitely the stuff i'm doing lately with the you know with these sort of 
ambient music mm-hmm. sort of scored videos that are very slow paced and going through the desert or going through, you know, uh, you know, uh, different, uh, you know, beautiful natural locations and traveling in the My parents are actually arriving right now with their dog and my brother, and that's why Charlie's getting excited. So he just walked in downstairs. Charlie, 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 wait, 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 Charlie, not we're gonna we're gonna go see them after the podcast. Come here, come, 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 come here, come, 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 jump up, jump up, jump up, jump up, jump up. Sit, sit. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So I don't know. Like, um, yeah, I think so. It's funny because, like, you know, I'm just kind of like, I'm just like going out on the road and, and making these videos, and then I have found that there's a whole sort of different sort of segment of people that are watching the stuff, and and sometimes they they're they're discovering my old stuff and and sort of, you know, surprised because you know the new the new stuff that I've been doing lately is so much more. Uh, you know, a different pace and a different kind of uh, vibe, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting, you know, sort of just seeing all your gear and, and like the sort of really DIY vibe that was like with the Tom Green show and then obviously with the stuff you're doing now. But I was reading an oral history of Freddie Got Fingered by Vince Mancini, and it was a very fascinating sort of trip through the studio system and sort of, you know, you it's sort of this moment in time. My question was for anyone listening that's sort of like making stuff. What what were the do's and don'ts that you learned about working within sort of the machinery, the construct of like big budgets and sort of, you know, uh, limits and sort of all of those things, notes, as opposed to sort of now and and what you've learned on your journey? Well, yeah, it's like it's it's kind of a shock to the system when you go from a public access show to being on MTV and having all sorts of, you know, executives and and uh you know focus groups and things like that um you know that's kind of a whole learning curve in itself but um you know so it's 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 complicated because it was difficult at first you know when when we went to that and and i think that's probably kind of part of the reason why i like going out to the desert by myself with my camera and editing everything and doing the music all by myself because i just feel like there's this really you know sort of pure form of expression where you're just kind of completely, you know, doing it yourself. But, but, you know, I, I think I've learned, I learned a lot when I was on, t- on MTV and doing Freddie Got Fingered, which I directed, you know, about, it's a different kind of, a different kind of thing. You know, you have to kind of learn to work with people if you want to make, you know, bigger projects because it, it takes a lot of people, it takes a team to, to put things together. So. I think that's what I like about going out in the desert, though. It's kind of like a fun way to just go out and express myself and not have to be encumbered with all the complexity of, of, of you know, organizing a big group of people <laughs> to make some something, you know? Yeah. When you that's are... why I like stand-up, too. I mean, stand-up comedy is, is my, you know, my favorite thing to do, really creatively. I mean, because it's just such a solo mission, you know? You're, you're just you're on stage with a microphone. You say whatever you want. You do whatever you want. There's no rules. Um, that's that's the purest form of comedy, I think, is stand-up. Uh, in the article that Mike was referencing, there's a, I think it was Eddie K. Thomas or someone was saying he thought a big joke of the movie was merely the fact that the the movie got made itself was almost like an elaborate prank on everyone, and that you were almost reveling in that. Do you see it that way, or for you was that not even a thought? 
No, I mean, sure. I mean, the movie's called Freddy Got Fingered. So, I mean, we were, you know, we were, you know, we were definitely trying to uh, be, uh, you know, make the thing the most ridiculous movie we could ever imagine making. That was pretty much the goal. Let's make the most ridiculous movie ever. You know, let's definitely make a movie that's so ridiculous that people say, how the hell did that get made? You know, that was for sure. But that was always kind of the motivation. And I think that's kind of always the motivation with all comedy, you know, mm -hmm. like, Every comedian going back to, you know, Steve Martin or back to, you know, Sid Caesar going all the way back, you know, Charlie Chaplin. Everybody always was trying to do something that was so ridiculous that people couldn't believe that they were watching it. You know, I guess the thing the thing that happens is over time, like when people have made so many ridiculous things that, you know, it, it sort of becomes harder and harder to catch anybody by surprise. Mm -hmm. So things ultimately gets, you know, have to keep shifting and getting and getting sometimes maybe even more extreme and you know that's i think i think we're even at a point now where it's getting complicated because there's so much media you know you you know it's like how are you supposed to turn on the tv and watch you know a late night show and actually you know be surprised by what you're looking at when you can go on TikTok and see 200 kids with no rules doing insane stuff so it's like um you know, it's 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 uh, you know, I, I mean, I think in some ways, I think the the value of shocking people is kind of diminished quite a bit mm -hmm. now. And now you have to kind of go focus on actually being a little bit more intelligent with your comedy now in order to get a reaction, because nothing's going to shock anyone anymore. You know, with um, with this show, with uh, LOL, uh, um, I mean, that's a big part of it, right? Surprise is a big part of comedy. And the reason it's compelling to watch is you guys, you're all professionals. You've been doing it forever. So it's like, what does make someone laugh within that mm -hmm. environment? I'm interested. How did you come to this project? And it, is it one of those things where it's like, I'm interested right away? Or are you like, who else is involved? And what is the construct? How, how did it happen for you to, to get involved with the show? Yeah, I mean, they just kind of called us up and, and, and asked. I didn't know who else was on the show because that's kind of the fun of the show is you show up and you don't know who's there. Okay. So... So uh, I didn't know who was going to be on the show, but um, I knew it was going to be, they said it was a bunch of Canadian, uh, you know, comics and comedians. And I figured I would have probably known some people on there because I know a lot of Canadian comedians and stuff. So, uh, but, you know, I mean, I, like I'm kind of at that stage where if something sounds fun, um, you know, I'm uh, definitely up to, to do it. And, you know, I love being in Toronto and, you know, I was shooting in Toronto and, uh, and uh, I like being asked to do things. It's nice when people ask you to do things in, in show business, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, you go through periods in your life and your career where people don't ask you to do things. And then you go, geez, I wish somebody would ask me to do something. <laughs> so when they ask you to do something, it's kind of strange to not do it. You know, I, I only don't do some, I, I'll do, uh, you know, I won't do everything. Like if someone asks me to do something and I think it doesn't sound funny or it doesn't sound uh, like it's going to be a quality thing, then I, I might not do it. But this sounded like it was going to be a real good time. And, and uh, yeah, it was right up my alley. So, and, and it was really fun too. It's a really fun show. I mean, I, uh, like I, uh, I really enjoyed it. I liked the way they made it too. I mean, the whole thing was shot in one day, you know, you're just mm -hmm. in the studio for six hours and it's all real time. And, you know, I mean, you're basically, you know, I, you're basically just hanging out with a bunch of comedians for six hours and trying to crack each other up. And, uh, yeah, I thought the way they put it together was great. And then Jay Baruchel's the host. And so he's like another room watching everybody and, and really kind of adding a lot to it because, 
you know, it's like you said earlier, so sometimes it's always about the reaction shot, you know, him mm-hmm. reacting to everything really, I think, made everything really, really extra funny. So, yeah, I, I love the show. My my last question is uh, actually about how difficult it was for you during the show not to laugh, because in my mind, I picture you as a guy who's not a huge laugher. When I watch your interview shows, I don't see you necessarily laughing a lot. You're kind of a deadpan character. Was it hard, though, when you're told you absolutely cannot laugh or you will lose this money for this charity? Does that make it 20 times harder not to laugh? And are you going through agony or pain trying to suppress that during the show? Like when you when you sort of see me as somebody that doesn't laugh a lot. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I laugh when I'm allowed to laugh. Right. Like if I'm at a comedy show, I'll laugh. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm hosting a show and interviewing someone, yes. I laugh a lot. When I'm hanging out with my friends, I laugh a lot. But when I was like, you know, out on the street doing bits for the Tom Green show, mm-hmm. and you know that if you laugh, the person you're interviewing is going to kind of realize this is a gag and it's going to blow the whole bit. Yeah. After years and years of doing that, you you start to to not laugh as much, and and then you know, so I, I found the hardest part was like, you know, when you do, are you guys, do you guys do stand up? You guys, you do a lot, you guys stand up or anything like that? You, no, we do sketch comedy, but yeah, sketch comedy. Okay, mm-hmm. so you know, like when you're doing a comedy bit. And you crack up at your own joke. It kind of sometimes makes the joke, you know. Yes. It's like it's it's sometimes really kind of inspiring and it's fun, right? Yeah, like Jeremy yeah, that's Haas. Encouraging, yeah. I guess. I, I like to encourage, like, like, you know, like when you when I do stand up, you know, you'll see often, like when, like you know, Ricky Gervais does that a lot. He'll be really laughing at his own joke, you know. Or Jeremy, you know, you know Jeremy Haas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I started out, I was a huge fan of his when I, mm-hmm. I still am, but when I was growing up, he's from Ottawa too. So yeah. we would, I would watch him when I was a kid, you know, doing stand up at Yuck Yucks. And, uh, and uh, you know, you sort of creates this infectious laughter for the audience, right? So that was hard. That was hard to not just sort of naturally laugh at your own bit, you know, because you're so used to kind of doing <laughs> yeah, that. That's my know? biggest problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, you're trying to you, you say a joke, and you normally you would laugh at your own bit a little bit or smile. You're not even allowed to smile. Um, but uh, you know, I'm not going to say how how well I did because I don't want to blow the ending. Like I mm-hmm. couldn't. Maybe I laugh on the next episode, and you know, I'm out of there. I'm not going to tell you what happened, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, gonna have to watch to see. You know. Well, uh, the show's been great. We're all huge fans. We're all caught up, and it's been uh, it's been it's been fun to watch. So thanks, man, and we appreciate your time because you know. Like I said, we've all been we've been watching for years, and uh, you are revered. You could feel it in the room from all those other comedians, man. Oh, oh man, yeah. that's real nice, man. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. I mean, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. It's super super cool, and uh, you know, I just moved back to Canada this year, so I'm I'm Welcome you know home. living. Uh, Welcome back. Living. Where are you right now, Tom? Uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'll send you the GPS coordinates, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I, I, I am in the wilderness. I am I'm in the, in the deep wilderness. Uh, I have a wolf pack living on my <laughs> property here, uh, seriously. And, 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 uh, all sorts of amazing animals and I'm shooting them with my trail cams and, 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 you know, watch a lot of the video on my YouTube channel, actually, mm-hmm. some of the wildlife that I've captured out here on, on trail cams. Fishers and deer and wolves, actual wolves and coyotes and all sorts of stuff. So uh, it's pretty, pretty exciting. And um, and uh, yeah, I'll be, you know, in the spring, I'm planning on coming down to Toronto a lot more and just jumping up and doing some stand up sets and, uh, you know, working on my next uh, stand up show. So 
So it's great to be back in Canada. We'll have to we'll have to hang out when I come down. We'll grab a beer down there at the comedy bar, right? We, we, oh, love, big time. Time. we love that. We're gonna, we're gonna get her done there, bud. <laughs> hey, Tom, I I, th- I feel like I can say this because I'm not as involved. So my normal job is I play in a band called Arkells, but Mike and Shane are writing a sketch comedy show. All right, oh, cool, cool, so cool, cool. can because they're they they're too polite. Can I send it uh, send you the pilot? The first twelve minute pilot is <laughs> wow, Max. Yeah. This was not planned. I don't Tom. care. I didn't write it. I, I'm just a fan, and I think Tom would. Yeah, love no, it. of course, of course, I can. Yeah, I want to see it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, yeah. What's what's your best contact, Tom? What's what's the best way to send it? Send the thing to you. Uh, I'll just I can I'll send it to you after I, I can you know I don't want to okay. give you my, my phone number on the air. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is live. This is on the radio right now. Yes. You know, just just hit me up on the gram, man. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll find you. Hey, Arkell, yeah. slide into the DMs. Yeah. He know? has a blue check mark, so he should be able to yes. get right in there. Yes. We'll mm-hmm. connect. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for your time, man. Thanks, thanks so much. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.